The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Change is messy and complicated. It's never straightforward. I'm in this game not because I want to just tinker around the edges. I genuinely want to change things for mothers in the workplace. And that will not happen without upsetting a number of people. So when I get these these responses, it means it's working. It means what I'm doing is rattling the cages of the people that have potentially got the most to lose. Hello everyone, it's Yasmin here and welcome to The Hearing Podcast. My next guest is Jolie Brearley and Jolie is the founder of Pregnant Then Screwed and no, it's not the other way around. So we spoke about Pregnant Then Screwed, why Jolie set up this movement and charity and how they help women when they experience maternity discrimination. Jolie also spoke about her big legal case against the government, why she brought the case and what it feels like to to take on these huge feminist issues. What I found interesting about Jolie was her personal story as to why she set up this movement her own experience with maternity discrimination and her absolute disbelief that this could happen only seven years ago and is still unfortunately happening now. Jolie's story really touched me because as you know listeners I've just had a baby boy who's seven months old and so this is an issue very close to my heart about how women can be treated so differently once they have a baby and Some of the stories that I've read on the website are heartbreaking and Jolie takes all of that emotional burden on and keeps striving to make effective change for women who should be part of the workplace um, because it's so important these issues and it's great to be able to discuss them with Jolie, an expert in this area. The Hearing Thank you, Jolie, for joining us on The Hearing podcast. It's really lovely to have you here. Could you tell us a little bit about Pregnant Then Screwed? Uh, By the way, I love the name. Did you come up with that? I did, yeah. I came (laughs) up with it one moment when I was changing my son's nappy, when I was (laughs) thinking about my own experience of discrimination. It just came to me in a flash and I thought, oh, that's brilliant. But I tell you what, the number of men who tell me that you get screwed and then you get pregnant is is quite eye-opening. And I have to each time explain to them that I do understand how procreation works. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and this is a subject close to my heart because I've got a seven-month-old son and I've just gone back to work on Monday, first week back. So I find this subject really interesting. So please tell us what, why you set it up. In 2013, I was working for a children's charity and I had discovered that I was pregnant I actually it wasn't planned but that's um another podcast (laughs) and I had waited until I was four months before I informed my employer I emailed them to tell them and I was on a fixed term contract so I would have the baby before the end of the contract so I said look I'm pregnant the baby's going to come at this point but don't worry I've got a plan in place let's have a chat tomorrow and we can talk through it And the next day, my phone was ringing while I was brushing my teeth, so I couldn't quite get to the phone. And then afterwards, I picked up the phone and I had a voicemail. And I listened to the voicemail and it was the CEO of the children's charity. And she said, 
your contract is being pulled, could you please hand everything over immediately? No reason was given as to why they were pulling my contract. She just said she was very sorry that this was happening. And that was all. And Gosh. it was such, I mean, I just remember my hand shaking and pacing the floor up and down and not really knowing how to process that information because of course, by this point at 20 weeks pregnant, I was showing and mm. I had rent to pay, you know, bills to come out. And I thought nobody's gonna employ somebody who is quite obviously pregnant. Where am I gonna get my next income from? How am I gonna really cope? I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, I was completely shocked and devastated that mm. the employer who I knew and felt I really trusted had had callously sacked me in that way. Um, and so I got some legal advice and the lawyer wrote a letter to the charity. The charity just ignored that letter, they threw it in the bin. And that process cost me 300 pounds. So yeah. when I had no idea where my next paycheck was coming from, that was pretty terrifying, hemorrhaging that sort of money. And the next stage then would have been to take them to tribunal. But the lawyers had told me that it would cost in the region of about 9,000 pounds to take them to tribunal. And of course, I didn't have that sort of money. I don't, I don't know anybody yeah. that does have that sort of money. Um, and. At the same time, I went for a routine hospital appointment and was told that I was having a high risk pregnancy. Mm. And my cervix had almost vanished. And the doctor said to me, this is really dangerous. You could go into labor at any point. And if you do, the baby will die. Oh my goodness. And I mean, when they told me that, I, I passed out cold on the floor and thankfully my partner was there so he sort of scooped me up and they put me in the hospital bed and when I came around the doctor said look whatever you do don't get stressed stress is the thing that's going to trigger onset early onset labor and of course being stressed wasn't a choice at that moment in time I was really stressed but I could choose to drop the case and not take the case to tribunal so I did and as you only have three months less one day to take a case to tribunal, I couldn't pick the case up at a later date once Theo, who is now a very happy, very lively seven-year-old, um, mm. was born and I knew he was okay. Um, and so that kind of, that moment ate away at me and the anger and the hurt of what they had done I just couldn't shift it and I was thinking about it constantly. And then I attended parent groups after I'd had Theo and started talking to other mums about my experience and so many had these stories. Mm. And I thought, why did I not know this was a thing? How did I not, you know, when it happened to me, I didn't even mm. know the word pregnancy and maternity discrimination. I was sort of Googling pregnant and sacked or like just words that made sense to try and figure out what to do. And so it Pregnant and Screwed was born out, out of the anger and frustration. It was born out of knowing that more people needed to understand that this was a thing. And also it was a cathartic way for me to deal with what had happened to me. Mm. And 
originally it was just a place for women to tell their stories anonymously and I naively thought that if I were if I exposed these stories that people would realize what was going on and the problem would miraculously be solved. You know, somebody would go, oh, wow, I had no idea this was happening and they would figure out a way to solve it. But of course that wasn't the case. Mm. So here we are six years later with a full clarity and campaigning organization. Yeah, and I can't believe it was, what, seven years ago? It's it's fairly recent that 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 kind of thing can happen. It's really shocking. Thank you for sharing that story. I mean, it's painful to listen to. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that with us. And um, what, what, what else does Pregnant Then Screw do? So if, if women are experiencing this kind of thing, what, what, what kind of things do you get involved with? How do you help them? We run a free legal advice service. So that runs six days a week and it's staffed by volunteers. So the first person you'll speak to is a HR professional who's a senior HR professional. If you then need to speak to an employment lawyer, they will pass you through to one of our four employment lawyers that work on the line. So we give the the HR advisors that can not only give them some of the advice that they need, but they're also there to listen. And we realize the importance of when somebody is experiencing discrimination and they're either pregnant or they've just had a baby, so they're really vulnerable, yeah. that sometimes they just really need somebody to listen to them and to understand the challenge that they're experiencing. Um, and then the lawyers can talk them through whether they have a legal case or not. And we hope to give them the confidence to challenge that discriminatory behavior when it's happening. Mm. And we also a mentor scheme. So uh, that's to support women who are taking legal action against an employer. We pair them up with somebody who's been through that process and they have regular calls and discussions and um, act as, you know, peer to peer support process to help them be able to take that case to tribunal because it's so stressful. Um, that... Yeah, I mean, it's stressful enough. I mean, now I know I'm a new mum and no one tells you how tired you are and all the challenges that come with having a newborn, keeping this baby alive. And um, and then on top of that, dealing with a, a potential tribunal claim. I mean, you've got to be pretty resilient to go through all of that. Do you think that, I mean, I know the three month limit um, to bring a claim, do you think for maternity discrimination, there should possibly be a longer time to bring that claim? Because it seems an awful lot to do in such a short space of time when you're pretty vulnerable. Absolutely. And that's been our longest running campaign. We want to see at least six months, perhaps ideally a year. I mean, it takes at least three months before you process what has happened to you and you turn it from hurt into anger. And I think we see this from lots of other types of claims as well, where it's been, you know, because it, it, the impact is can be quite severe. You literally have the rug pulled from under you when you've got so much going on and you really are at your most vulnerable. So um, it does take at least three months before women tend to go, okay, I'm I'm ready. I feel so angry now. I want to do something about it. But also this happens when you're either pregnant, in which case we know that stress can be damaging to a growing fetus and it can be damaging to the health of a mother. 
or it happens when you've just had a baby, as you were saying, Yasmin. Mm. In which case, making a cup of tea every day can feel like climbing Mount Everest. Oh, tell me about be- it. And the tea's cold by the time you get to it anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, getting dressed every day. I remember when I had a new baby, you know, you'd go through days and days where you wouldn't get dressed every day. Um, It's really intense and you are completely exhausted. And many new mums encounter some form of depression. And so asking women to then take on this monumental tribunal case at that point is completely unrealistic and completely unfair and that's why fewer than one percent of women who experience this type of discrimination even raise a tribunal claim because because of the cost and because of the timing Mm. and how long have you been campaigning for this issue then we've been campaigning on this since pregnant then screws inception so Mm. years we've we've been asking for this change but unfortunately we haven't got anywhere and i think the government's response is always that there's there isn't any proof that it's it prohibits justice which i mean i can show them the proof they just don't want to see it and um i think the real reason is that of course if you extend the time limit you're going to have more claims and actually the tribunal system is a complete mess at the moment waiting times are about three years there's an enormous backlog for cases and you know we don't want the justice system to topple over but it desperately needs support and funding and it's not getting that and so extent you know i I think that's why really they're saying no we won't extend it but they're using this evidence argument as a cover-up yeah yeah well you're not frightened to take on the government um why don't you tell us about um your the legal case that you've got against the government and and why you decided to bring the case against them? So the self-employed income support scheme, which is the furlough scheme essentially for the self-employed. So it gives you 80% of your average earnings over the last three years, but that discriminates against women in the way it has been calculated. Because if you have taken maternity leave as a self-employed mother in the last three years, then your overall payment will be very much reduced by at least a third, but we're finding in the majority of cases, it's much more than that. And so to us, this is essentially double discrimination. Women tend to be the ones that take maternity leave because of the way the system is set up and they get about £150 a week in order to do what I would say is the most important job there is, giving birth and raising the next generation. And so their income's full, they have to put their business to one side in order to do this really, really critical, important job. And now what we're seeing is they're being punished financially again for doing that really important job because of the way this calculation works and so this we would say is indirect sex discrimination we when the scheme was announced i mean i genuinely thought they'd just made a mistake and they would backtrack and fix it if once they realized the mistake that they had made and we had ellie reeves the labor mp ask a question on this to Rishi Sunak and his response was everybody has ups and downs in earnings it could because it could be because of sick leave it could be because of a sabbatical or another reason so he essentially compared maternity leave to the same 
as being sick or taking a holiday. And when we wrote them a legal letter to challenge this, the same response came back. So we have taken it as far as we can do. We had the court case last week, um, which was incredibly stressful, I have to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It was it was one it was a complete emotional roller coaster and was a full day court case and we're now waiting for the judge to pass her verdict and we don't know when that will be so we're just on tenterhooks waiting for mm. the results yeah so bringing this big case against the government i know it can cause some anxiety and i saw an instagram post that you had um, a stress stream do you want to tell us about that i don't want to um make you feel even more anxious but um what what was going on there you know i mean I was so anxious the, the few days before it happened because obviously we've invested so much in this case, you know, financially, mentally, and, and in terms of time. Usually when I have an anxiety dream, it's being naked in a public place, which is the same as everybody. But this one was really quite unique and I'll try and remember all of it. I had, I did document it for prosperity, but I had gone to the court obviously we didn't go to court in real life it was all done on zoom actually but um in my dream i'd gone to court for the case and the main barrister who was doing it i had a phone call to say that he'd sadly died and oh, then <laughs> um, so i thought oh well i bet there were two other barristers working on the case so I called the next barrister and I couldn't track her down anyway anywhere and then I called the next barrister and he told me that really his name was Steve and he wasn't actually a barrister at all he just made it and then I called um one of the lawyers and I think I couldn't couldn't track her down then either I can't remember what had happened to her and then I called Olga, who's been working with me on the case, and she said she was waiting in for a pizza delivery, so she couldn't make it. Oh. And so I had to do the court case oh, all gosh. by myself and interview the, the government. And in my dream, there were 27 men in suits sat behind a table waiting for me to grill them all while the judge presided over it. And that's, but thankfully, that's where the dream ended. I didn't actually get, get stuck in. But I, I think a lot of lawyers can relate to this. And we've had many a dream like this where, um, yes, you've just, you've, you've just highlighted a real issue that young lawyers probably have up and down the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you do it. I really don't. Watching my, what, watching the barrister present the case and then respond was just an in incredible. I mean, the talent and the skill to do that, I found completely inspiring and gobsmacking. It was, it was quite an amazing thing to watch. But also quite, I mean, the emotions that were that I was dealing with, I dread to think how lawyers and barristers cope with that each day. I imagine a, insomnia and perhaps quite a bit of drink at some point. <laughs> well, that's a whole other podcast, yes. That could be an issue. I follow you on LinkedIn and I saw you, you put a post up about um, this case and, and there was a troll there <laughs> I spotted and... Uh, how do you deal with it? I mean, I, you, I could see you've got a, a good fan base there because a lot of people were 
um, kind of replying to him. And um, I was quite amused reading some of the comments. But how do you personally deal with the stress of taking this case on? But then on top of that, the backlash sometimes that comes from people who clearly don't understand these issues. And uh, I just, I don't know where you get the strength from. Yeah, I mean, trials are a funny one. I think, I mean, I put trials into sort of three different categories. There's the ones you often see on Twitter who have the Union Jack in their title. <laughs> the usually men, white men with Union Jacks in their title, and they, they just really are out to just be difficult and cause some trouble and argue with people. And you see them do the pile on as soon as a female MP tweets anything or as soon as a woman in the public eye tweets anything and they're really nasty and malicious. Mm. And, you know, you imagine they sort of middle-aged men that still live with their parents and spend their days watching <laughs> Jerry Kyle and eating pot noodles under a yellow stained duvet, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do get very often men disagree really vehemently disagreeing with me on the internet and i get called an idiot and people will mm. comment on the way i look sometimes and and actually this sounds really odd but i actually enjoy it and i don't enjoy it is the wrong word but i change is messy and complicated mm. it's never straightforward and you know i'm in this game not because i want to just tinker around the edges I genuinely want to change things for mothers in the workplace. And that will not happen without upsetting a number of people. Yeah. And so when I get these these responses, I mean, apart from the fact that a lot of the time I don't need to respond because other people pile in, as you said, yeah. and, and respond themselves. But I, it means it's working. It means what I'm doing is rattling the cages of the people that have, potentially got the most to lose from this mm. and so i do see it as a positive however there with the the pandemic we have we've taken a hard line on certain issues which we've felt we've had to and we've talked about some really difficult subjects such as we want breastfeeding women to have choice when it comes to the vaccine, informed choice about whether they take the vaccine or not. And that, of course, is a very difficult subject for lots of people. We also have done lots of work around hospital restrictions and partners not being allowed to scans and labor. And uh, again, we've taken a, a stance which is about the women who are giving birth and making sure they are protected. But again, that comes with its own challenges and people challenging me on it. And some of that can be really difficult to handle. You know, when you've got other mothers who become really exercised by something you've said and angry, and they can sometimes be, be very personal and really attack you, that, that I find really difficult to deal with. Um, but I don't find it difficult to deal with when silly men tell me I'm an idiot. That's that's pretty easy to to deal with. Yeah, I suppose because you've got your own personal story that pushes you forward to really, I can hear the passion in your voice that you really want to affect change. And, and had you not been through your experience, you know, pregnant men screwed wouldn't wouldn't even be here. So yeah. it really it pushes you forward, doesn't it? Um, hot off the press, you you 
I'm sure you've seen that the uh, Attorney General is now going to be given maternity leave. Um, mm. What are your initial thoughts on, on that? And, and could the government go even further, do you think? Yeah, it's it's a step in the right direction. It's incredible that ministers had no right to maternity leave and that Suella Braverman could have lost her job had she taken time out to look after her new baby. So yeah, great, step, good step in the right direction. But honestly, that bill is so constrained and just focuses. So all it does is covers ministers for maternity leave. It doesn't think about fathers or adopters and it doesn't think about MPs. So the current situation for MPs is if they have a baby, yes, they continue to get their salary, but they have no right to cover somebody to cover their constituency work and be paid to cover their constituency work, which is something that Stella Creasy fought really hard for two years ago. But still, there is no provision for that in Parliament. So had they taken a bit more time over this bill, it could have been much more encompassing and covered all the different scenarios for MPs, but instead they just rushed it through at the last minute. I mean, it's not like yeah. they didn't know Suella Braverman was going to have a baby. They um, they had you know quite a few months to prepare for this, um, but they just haven't bothered. And the the real thing it challenges, we really need more women in parliament, yeah. more women, we need more mothers, we need, women from all different backgrounds and experiences and we're not going to get that until parliament works for women and it doesn't at the moment so this yeah. was a really great opportunity to make some of those amends and sadly it's not happened yeah there's too many barriers aren't there it's unbelievable that she's the first cabinet minister to to get maternity leave and as you say i think she's due to give birth imminently um, yeah. So it's quite late in the day to do this, but as you say, a step in the in the right direction. Um, mm. Turning to the workplace, Jolie, um, what does good practice look like? If there'll be employers listening to this um, episode of the podcast, and how can we help achieve gender equality in the workplace? Do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, gender parity is not easy it takes real investment from those in senior positions both in terms of time and in terms of money but obviously the rewards can be resplendent if you do it properly as as an absolute basic i would say that workplaces should be offering both enhanced maternity pay and paternity pay and some companies have been really quite ambitious with this so aviva offers both parents six months leave on full pay and the same with Go Compare and Virgin, they do that as well. And when Aviva introduced their policy, the number of dads taking longer than two weeks paternity leave shot up. It's now at 97% of dads take more than the standard two weeks and 37% of dads in Aviva work flexibly as well. Mm. So we, I mean, that's a, you all, organizations should have that at their core i think you know to show that you want to encourage men to take time out to spend time with their families as much as you do women and and that real belief that caring should be shared in the home um i think all jobs should be advertised as flexible by default to show that the company has thought about the different ways a job can be done before they recruit 
Zurich Insurance were the first to advertise all of their jobs as available, part-time, flexible, and job share. And they saw a 20% increase in the number of women that applied for their jobs, which is quite amazing, really. And you yeah. think people want high numbers of people to apply for jobs, and particularly women. So this is a really simple tool that you can use. Advertise your jobs as flexible by default. Think about how they can be done flexibly before you advertise them. And use gender neutral language when you're advertising them. And you will see so many more women applying for those jobs. Um, I think everyone who trains somebody should be managed in how to deal with pregnancy, and parental leave and that's a smooth transition back to work because that's the point often that women fall out of the workforce they go off and have a baby and it's a life-changing experience and you learn so much when you're caring for another human I always imagine maternity maternity leave is like women going into this sort of chrysalis and then they they come out of maternity leave like a big butterfly you've it's maternity leave is not easy it's hard and you learn so much about yourself through that process you learn resilience you learn to multitask like a ninja you learn about love and despair and just exhaustion and um so many things you learn so many things from motherhood and and so companies should really want to retain parents when they've been through what I see as an elite training ground um, for management and yet that's when women fall out of the workforce so a lot more training about how to really support parents when they come back to work um, and you we want companies to scrutinize and monitor their data much more so we saw when gender pay gap report reporting came out that loads of companies were really shocked that their gender pay gap was enormous and they just had no concept of what they were meant to do to resolve it there were there were some enormous mistakes made by massive companies at the point where the first gender pay gap reporting came out where they were sort of saying well yeah of course there's a gender pay gap because we have loads of men working at the top and loads of women working at the bottom <laughs> yes that's the point <laughs> that's what you need to solve um but if companies spent more time scrutinizing their data and not just gender pay gap but ethnicity pay gap disability pay gap as well as looking at when people are falling out of the workforce then they'd see where their problem areas are and they'd be able to fix them much better mm. and i think your point jolie about advertising jobs as, as, as flexible if they if they can do it that way it you know you you do attract a diverse talent you know people with disabilities people with caring responsibilities not just women who've got childcare responsibilities but you will recruit from a, a wider talent pool as well um, which i think is beneficial i mean mckinsey talks about the benefits of um, diversity in the workplace and how you know it improves profitability so it just makes sense um, so we've got international women's day coming up well on the 8th of march um, what does it mean to you? I launched Pregnant Women's Group on International Women's yeah. Day 2015 and I woke up that morning I had Theo was about 16 months old I think he was crying and I scooped him up out of his cot and and I headed downstairs and bounced him on one knee and spoon-fed porridge into his mouth while I taught myself WordPress 
with one hand, like full-on multitasking mother. <laughs> and and then that day, Pregnant Then Screwed was born and I used the International Women's Day hashtag and had over a thousand people look at the webpage. And at that point, it was just my story on there. It took a long time before we got other stories flooding in. Um, I mean, International Women's Day is, is so important as a day to reflect on what still needs to be done to address the inequalities that women still experience. It, it reminds us, I think, to not become complacent. I mean, when I, I grew up in Halifax in the 80s and 90s, you know, proper northern town. And, and even in the 2000s, you would never have dreamt to call yourself a feminist. It was such a dirty word, yeah. bitter, angry man-haters. And we were programmed to believe that we'd achieved emancipation and that we were equal to men and that being ta taunted by men and men speaking over you and undermining you or even men groping you was just part and parcel of being a woman. And yeah. And that happened to me plenty of times. And I, I don't know a single woman that hasn't experienced that sort of behavior. But thanks to the bravery of the women who spoke out against Harvey Weinstein and then Tarana Burke's Me Too movement, women now feel more empowered to say, look, that's not OK. And, and I think International Women's Day is an extension of that. It's one day a year where the women speak. and. Hopefully, if we keep that up, then eventually we'll be heard. Yeah. Well, I know you'll be heard in it. Well, you're being heard now and, and the excellent work you do as well. But you've written a book, um, which is exciting. And, and does that come out next month, I believe? Yeah, 4th yeah. of March. 4th of it, March. So it should be the 8th of March, really, International Women's Day. T yeah. Tell us about your book, Jolie. What, what's... What's it about and who's it for? Um, so the book is about the many artificial barriers that punch women in the face when they try and have children and a career, the barriers that, that men just don't have. It's only women that have them. And it's about how we create a society where, where care is valued and in which the true potential of pregnant women and mothers in all of their diversity is realized you know, my utopia, really. Um, and so it it talks about, obviously, my own experience, what started Pregnant Then Screwed. It, it is packed, jam-packed full of data because I'm yeah. quite obsessive with using data to show that what I'm talking about is fact, not fiction, um, and lots of real stories because over the last seven years, of course, I've collected so many stories from women who've experienced this. Um, and it shows that 54,000 women a year are pushed out of their jobs for daring to procreate, which is one in nine. And 77% of working mums encounter some form of discrimination in the workplace. And that what's worse is those figures have almost doubled in the last 10 years. So far from improving the situation is, is really deteriorating. And it shows why women can't access the justice that they deserve when this happens to them. It shows how, how non-disclosure agreements are being used by bad employers as legal weapons to silence mm -hmm. women in return for a bit of money and a good reference. 
but it's not just about pregnancy and maternity discrimination. I'd say, you know, about a third of the book covers pregnancy and maternity discrimination and the the barriers to accessing justice. What's the book called? It's called Pregnant and Screwed, The Truth About the Motherhood Penalty and How to Fix It. Mm. Well, I will be getting that. And lastly, um, I can't believe we've already got to the end, but did you learn anything new about yourself when you wrote the book? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm not a born writer, so it was it was a really tricky process and it took me about three years to write right. it. Um, but I, I learned that women are incredibly resilient and that when you look at all of these barriers that they face when they have children, it's quite amazing that so many women still manage to do very, very well in their careers. Um, and, you know, I learned that I probably never want to write another book again in my life because it was hard <laughs> doing it. Um, but I'm really, I'm really looking forward to people reading it and to hopefully really understanding all of these barriers that women face and to then potentially working together to try and hopefully fix them for the future. Well, I'm really excited to read it and I'm sure our listeners um, will as well. And thank you so much for being a wonderful guest and good luck with your case against the government as well. Thank you, Jolie. Thanks, Yasmin. Thank you. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.